to Children's Church. Children up to the fifth grade can make their way to Children's Church. Everybody else, if you would take your Bible and turn to Luke 23, please. Luke chapter 23. It's been a just wonderful stretch last Sunday celebrating baptism and uh, seeing some people all obedient to the Lord and making that public to the church family that they're a follower of Christ. This Sunday, going to communion for the last time before Easter. So I encourage us as a church family to um, very much so uh, think on what we are doing, this broken body and shed blood, special today, and really we're giving the whole service to it. We will sing some more at the end today. We have taken um, a three-song set and put it at the end. And the reason for that is is because they lead us right to this um, topic of the cross of Jesus Christ. And it is so common that I will know the songs that we are singing, and I've even gone over them, uh, before Sunday. And I'm thinking, boy, I wish they knew these things uh, leading up to the, the message. Well, now we'll have the message and even partake in communion, and then we'll sing a little bit about that afterwards, and that's very intentional. Of course, next Sunday is our Easter cantata. It's on Palm Sunday, but next Sunday we'll be having an Easter cantata, so please do come, and uh, the choir will be singing that song plus some others, and we'll be having other special things as well. And then in a couple weeks, we celebrate the, the risen Christ. We are so blessed to have something that is real, that is real in our own hearts as well as is real to, um, in history. We are so blessed to know God. I'm going to ask us to bow one more time for prayer. Gracious Father, as we come to you, and I would ask that you would be clearly involved in what we'll be doing. We thank you for the command that Jesus gave that until he comes back in the rapture that we would remember the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. I think you know us so well to know that we forget. Sometimes we allow other things to uh, take prominence in our minds. And so it is sweet for us as a church family to do that on this day. And I would ask for each one who has realized that wonderful forgiveness, who has realized that they had no hope apart from the work done of Christ on the cross. For those individuals, I would pray this would be a very sweet and special time. Perhaps in something we might talk about in the message today, or perhaps something very sweet and special that you do within their own heart because of what they have in you. You are a beautiful God to us, and we thank you for giving us a good plan until we get to spend eternity with you in heaven. We pray that you'd bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was young in Illinois where I grew up, I was the youngest of four boys. And so there was quite a bit of roughhousing that would go on. That was not unusual. We had a loud house. We had a smelly house, quite honestly. And uh, being the youngest of the four boys, I was one who sometimes had to learn when to pick a fight and when not to pick a fight. There was a test of strength that happened on a regular basis in my house, and my father was even included in this from time to time. It was a game where you would take your strong hand, and for three out of four of us, that was our right hand, and you'd put it out there, and the other person would put their strong hand out there, and you'd lock fingers, and you would try to make the other person relent. You would twist and tighten and pull and do whatever you could do with that person's, with that person's hand until they gave up. 
Now, there's a name for that game. Do you know what that name of that game is called? It's called Mercy. Very good, Mercy. And I can just remember from time to time, even when it was obvious that there was no way you were going to possibly win that match, you still sometimes would hold out. You wouldn't call Mercy right away. Even though you knew there's no way I can get out of this or I can overtake them from this spot or I can beat my older brother who always beats me up. There's, you know, there was a point, but you just would not call out mercy sometimes even when you knew there was no other way to win. Today in God's word, we're going to look at a couple different individuals and one individual that went through his entire life and did not call out to God for acceptance, and for mercy until the very last moment of his life. And I can't get inside his head, this criminal on the cross. I don't know if he just didn't care. I don't know if he had another plan of, tr- of planning for eternity or if he didn't believe there was life after death. I don't know what he was thinking, but I know that there was one who experienced extre- extreme circumstances before he would turn and call out to God. All that to bring us to our text here in Luke chapter 23. In Luke chapter 23, I want us to remember two things. First of all, we have the the greatest work that ever would be done on the planet. Jesus Christ paying the price to redeem man back to the Father. So the work of the cross is going on. It is something that is incredible. It is something that is huge. It is something that we celebrate. And with all that going on, and many of you are familiar with so many of the details of the work on the cross, and yet with all that going on, Jesus Christ is such a beautiful example to us that he allows us to see him interact one-on-one with someone that was there. We find that multiple times. We find that Jesus on the cross took time to care for his mother as she would need someone to care for her when he was no longer doing that. And here in Luke 23, we find him giving time and attention to a criminal. But we're going to talk about two criminals today. And the first one was not the one that called out For mercy. We're going to start reading about these guys in Luke 23, starting in verse 32. We'll read down through 39 right now. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right hand and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots, and they, and they, I'm sorry, they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. And then in 39, we come to the first criminal. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and 
us. We'll stop right there. It is not hard for me to relate to both of these criminals that are on the cross in one way or another. We see them, and they are there because they are guilty. And if I look at them, and if I look honestly at myself, I can relate in some ways to them both. Here is, in essence, the message that this first criminal gives to Jesus Christ, who's hanging on that middle cross. He says this, Aren't you God? Then save yourself and save us while you're at it. Essentially, what he is saying is, Are you God? Then why don't you prove it right now? And I can relate to this criminal, and maybe some of you can as well, because I think sometimes we get to a point in life where there's something happening that does not make sense to us. It might involve pain. It might involve something going on that we could never put any kind of an explanation to. Perhaps it's the sin that someone else is committing towards us. Or maybe it's that prayer that you give to God. God, this is the same sin that I have committed again and again and again. Why can't I get victory over this sin? And there are ways that we can call out to God so they so pleased to hear, but I think sometimes I fall into the trap of saying this, God, I know what all these songs say. I know what the Word of God teaches about you and your faithfulness and your character. But God, why don't you convince me that these things are true? Because I can't quite see how in the world what's going on right now makes any sense in the plan of a good God. This question that we would ask, why is this so hard? Why is this happening to me? Now let me ask this. When we read the words of this criminal, the first one who speaks, do you think that there's any ounce of faith? So he asked the the question, are you God? You're God, right? He's talking about him being God. And then he says, save yourself and save us. By shaking your head yes or no, do you think there was any faith that this criminal actually believed that Jesus was God? Shake your head yes or no. I don't think so. I don't think he believed that at all. I think many of us get to this point, even God's people. The words that he says reveals that he does not believe that Jesus Christ is God. He does not believe God's plan that a Messiah was going to come and pay for the sins of the world. I couldn't help but be reminded of an Old Testament character when I was studying this. Back in the Judges, we find the character of Gideon. Now, it's my experience as I study God's word that whenever someone is confronted by an angel, the response is almost always the same. It's not always the same, and we're going to get to one that's different. But typically, when someone is confronted by an angel, what is their response? Yes, they're afraid. What are those two words that we hear so often, especially in the Christmas cantatas from the angel? Fear not, right? Oftentimes, when someone is confronted by an angel, there is a response that comes. Now, it very well could be that this angel, you know, wasn't shining bright that approaches Gideon. 
But in Judges chapter 6, I want you to see the, the response that Gideon gives when an angel approaches him and says, God's got a great plan, a great work that's ahead of you. And I want you to see Gideon's uh, response in verses 12 and 13 of Judges 6, where it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, do you remember where Gideon was in this story when the angel said that? He was hiding behind the wine press trying to get some food so the Midianites wouldn't come and take that. So the angel calls him a mighty man of valor while he's hiding. All right, so already we've got a little bit of a problem. And Gideon said to him, here's his response to the angel, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Gideon is one of the judges of Israel that would go on to uh, help deliver them and rule. And in Gideon at this point, is there a spirit of faith or is there a spirit of doubt? It is doubt. And God is going to be so patient with Gideon to allow him to say, God, why don't you prove it to me? Gideon says, prove it, doesn't he? And multiple times, God proves that he is God and he's going to use Gideon to deliver his people. And when we see this response from this first criminal, aren't you God? Why don't you prove it? Why don't you save yourself? And by the way, it seems like us three are all on the same team here, so why don't you save all three of us if you're really God? That's, the, 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 that's what he puts out to Jesus Christ. And I love that Jesus does not respond. So how about you and I? How do we respond when pain comes in this world? Because it comes. And all God's people said, amen. It comes. How about when what's going on in God's plan does not seem like anything that could be the plan of a good God? Is that even okay for me to say that? Have you experienced that? I'll suggest that the the first criminal kind of had that case going for him. If you are God, look at what's happening to you. Look over at your hands. Look at your feet. If you're God, try to convince me that this is somehow a good plan from a good God. He had a little bit of credibility when it comes to that aspect of this. And he doubted. And I love that Christ does not respond. And you and I sometimes will go to God too quickly and we will doubt our God almost, we're reverent enough not to say, why don't you prove it? We are reverent enough not to say that, but sometimes that is our spirit. If you're God, then save yourself. How could this bad thing be part of a good God's plan? And you and I, we've, we've read the whole story, right? So we know how this most horrible thing that ever happened on the face of the earth, the creator of man, crucified by those men and he does not call 10,000 angels to take him and set him free and wipe out those enemies he submits 
I think it was, oh, we're gonna come to that verse in a little bit in our closing time. There's a scripture verse that's going to be read that talks about this idea that Jesus Christ, while he's there on the cross, he trusts the good plan of the Father. And so he submits and he's crucified and he dies. You and I see this interaction. We understand saving man is exactly what Jesus is doing by staying on the cross. Now let's come to the second criminal. We'll read 40 through 43 of Luke 23. But the other rebuked him. He rebuked the other criminal, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under, do you not fear God since the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so what does the other criminal do at this point? And by the way, I think from studying the parallel passages that when they started out, both criminals were mocking Jesus Christ. That can be your assignment. Study those out. But at this point in the crucifixion, he had gotten to the place where he had observed Jesus Christ and he has realized that not only was he innocent, but that he was God. And so he responds to the other criminal. Are you crazy? Is the question that basically he says. We are getting what we deserve. And this one is being crucified even though he deserves nothing. And no one there would disagree that they were getting what they deserve. No one would. And you and I would not, we would not, dis- we would not disagree. Because they were getting exactly what they, what they deserved. But here's the trick. One of those criminals is just now realizing it. He had been in a game of mercy his entire life, and he was trying to win. He never could get victory. He never could have success, but he kept fighting and kept twisting and doing everything that he could. And it's at this point on the cross that he realizes There is nothing that I can do except call out for mercy. He doesn't ask to have that punishment stopped. He doesn't ask to live. He just says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus Christ, who has the sins of the world on his shoulders at this point, takes time to talk with and forgive this one criminal. Do you believe that Jesus Christ cares enough to spend one-on-one time with you? Oh boy. What a beautiful example that we see here. The thief who realizes he's getting what he deserves turns to Christ and says, will you remember me? And I am reminded if you were here several weeks back when we're teaching through the Beatitudes From the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, first of all, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. An individual who is begging because he has no other option. 
There's no way to get anything else in this world except for begging. He has no job options. He has no family to support him. There's no system set up except for him going and begging for some money to get some food. No possibility of anything good. The idea is complete spiritual bankruptcy. And that's where this criminal lands. This is what being poor in spirit means. There is nothing that I have that comes from an outside source that pleases God except for the work done by Jesus Christ on the cross. And that brings us to this time today. Remember, he's completing the greatest sacrifice of all and he says to the one that's deserving of punishment, today you will be with me in paradise. What can we do with this message? What can you do? Well, first and foremost, the place to start is if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to call out for mercy today. Do not wait until the end of your life. Do not think that you have another day to call out to Him. Because while He is patient and merciful, we should not delay. Do not think there is some kind of joy to be had in this world apart from the plan of God because there is not. There are some things that will satisfy for a temporary time, but in the end, they're like gravel in the mouth. They will not satisfy. If you've never called out to God for forgiveness, let today be the day of your salvation. Ask him to save you from your sins and accept his forgiveness. And then for everybody else, I don't have a really specific thing for you to do except for respond. Not respond by asking God for forgiveness, but respond in worship. We're going to pass this cracker and this juice here in just a moment. Take some time while the music plays to respond in worship. And then we're going to stand and we're going to sing about our Savior. Take some time to respond in worship understand how loved you are this huge huge task that is going on in the world and jesus christ loves you enough to deal one-on-one -on -one 